One, two, three, four. Palapalooza. Palapalooza. We're talking to you. I'm Palapalooza. Times are changing for the worse. I wish they weren't, but I know they are. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, how apropos, right? Dude, more relevant than ever. I mean, that's a line from uh, Treasure Hands, obviously. Yep, yep. Live it up while you still can. Yeah. When was that song written? Uh, probably like 1990. 1990. Nin- yeah, probably 1991. It was one of our, one of our first songs. I think that we had, you know, wrote, wrote together. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a good one. I don't know how accurate Spotify's algorithms are, but it's at the top of your Spotify list. That would make sense. That's the one that got, let's just put it this way, got chosen and was, you know, got a lot of airplay in what we're probably best known for. Definitely. Totally, man. Yeah. So I've been researching you guys quite a bit. Um, I'm born and raised San Diego. I've been playing in the scene for like 20 years. So I've obviously heard of uh, Lucy's Fur Coat. Uh, let's just take it back to the start with you guys, man. You formed in 1992, right? Something like that. I think it was, I think it might've, I think it might've been a little bit earlier. I think it was like, I was just thinking about that because I figured you'd ask. I think it was like 91 Yeah. and by 92 is when Charlie had joined the band. Cause not a lot of people know this, but we did about a year with, uh, as a four piece with our, our other guitar player, Mike Santos singing. And I, yeah, and I and I moonlighted before Lucy's Fur Coat in another band called Pomp House with and Charlie sang in that band. This guy Morgan Smith played guitar, um, and Pete Reichert from Rocket from the Crypt played bass. Wow. Yeah, so we were in that band together, and so um, I think it was just a natural progression for me to kind of do something else, and then. You know, Charlie's Charlie, man. I don't, you know, I don't know if you ever got to see him or whatever. I mean, he's he's a full blown rock star. So he's got amazing stage presence and charisma. And so I was like doing everything I could to get him to join our band. And the moment he did, things really just took off. The songs got better. The singing, um, not taking anything from Mike as far as singing, but it was nice to have a good good backup singer too. You know what I mean, like. And we played live and yeah things took off from there 92 i think we got you know this is this is this is back in the day when the concept of getting signed you know and putting out a cd on a you know any type of uh record label so to speak or a mid-major or a major label was you know coming from san diego pretty much unheard of right i think yeah i think there was like maybe like rat who had some San Diego ties. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And then, and, and then there was this, you know, like another band that like was a big influence for me growing up. Cause I was super into surfing and, 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 you know, music was like went hand in hand with surfing and watching surf videos. And there was this band called the voices and they were, they were pretty big. And I think they signed a major label deal. Um, and they were great, but yeah, so it was like pretty much unheard of. Um, and then, you know, uh, 
all of a sudden, you know, there was just this burgeoning music scene. There was a bunch of great bands, a lot of good camaraderie. Um, thankfully, there was the Casbah, you know, mm-hmm. so there was a there was a legit venue that absolutely dedicated itself to live music of any kind in San Diego. And it just so happened that at that time, you know, there was this big alt rock scene going on. And so thank you, Tim Mays, for that and giving us a shot on, you know, on a Tuesday night, some, you know, and next thing you know, we're, I looked back at some, some, some of the calendars that we had done and it blew me away. We would play the Casbah like two, three times a week. Wow. Yeah. And then eventually, you know, just one, you know, you get on some shows. Next thing you know, we were playing some weekends and then shocking to myself, you know, at the time, I remember one time walking out to smoke a cigarette and um, it was sold out. And I was like, what? Wow. You know, so yeah, just things things kind of just snowballed. Yeah. Good shout out to Tim Mays. We caught up with him recently and they're still doing their thing. I mean, obviously not now during the COVID era, but Casbah is still... Uh, as legendary as ever and, and staying busy and supporting local music for sure. What are your thoughts on the music scene then in the early 90s and now? I mean, was it harder to get your name out there then? That's a great question. Um, I think it is. And so I look back, I'm 51 years old, right? Right. So... Yeah. This is 30 years ago, and I'm pretty social media savvy, and, you know, I use it and have friends that use it and whatnot and understand the whole, you know, thing around it. And I would have I would have loved to have had the opportunity to get in front of as many people as, as bands can now. Right. Back back then, you were legitimately – we I would walk around and post up flyers yep. on every, every music store, every telephone pole – Cruise around PB, you know, OB, all the like kind of like North Park, South Park, kind of like, you know, areas like that, that, that I could get myself to. And yeah, we'd make flyers and we'd pass stuff out and, you know, and, you know, we didn't have phones. I can't even imagine texting, you know, everybody I know to tell them we were playing. Couldn't even do that. (laughs) I know. know I I know, man. And it's like Instagram, I've made this connection. Instagram nowadays is sort of like the modern day digital bulletin board, right? Oh, oh my God, yeah. With a billion bands. (laughs) So I would say a lot easier to get in front of people or let people know what you're doing, let them see the band, the product, your, you know, your... Your, your image, your style, what you're about, you know? Yeah. I think that, that would be, that would have been so cool. Right. Now, and, but back then, you know, that wasn't the case. And if, you, but if you, also too, it's, there's a catch, you know, there's a flip to everything, right? Right. A lot more, it seemed like a lot more people went out to just watch a band, just to go out, something to do. Totally. And, wa- and watch a band. Yeah. Like literally people, I would just go to the Casbah, go to, you know, um, geez, Bodie's brick by brick, belly up. So you all you know, Soul Kitchen, maybe Soul Kitchen. Yeah, all those places. I'm I'm drawing a blank on some of them, but Soma, maybe Soma is still around. Oh, for sure, Soma. Yeah, thank you, Len. Good, good guy. Yeah, Len is still running that place. Yeah, and then I think Live Nation is now booking for them. Don't quote me on that, but I've heard that. Are they? And then uh, they also have beer there now at Soma. 
beer. No way. <laughs> yeah. I oh think, my god. Yeah, That's I cool. haven't been there to experience that, but I think you might, you know, what I'm expecting is you'd have to have a wristband on if you're buying beer. But um and, and hey, you know, just as important to the San Diego music scene, Soma, you know, a whole different yeah, a whole different, you know, genre of people, you know, cuz obviously um the Casbah was 21 and up and so that was kind of like where we started and cut our teeth and had a really big following, but then again, you know, we we welcomed playing um soma and with you know bands like gosh you know sprung monkey well, unwritten law maybe back in the day uh, oh for sure unwritten law yeah how about uh psychotic waltz psychotic waltz we caught up with norm recently yeah i don't think i think by the time pod was doing their thing we were already pretty much done because i think that was like late 90s yep and our and our run really was 90 let's just say 92 to 99 2000 so cool really cool to uh catch up I've, I've been catching up with all sorts of bands lately for the the podcast you know like agent 51 dogwood you may be familiar with those uh yeah, yeah Un- unwritten yeah, law yeah i had the yeah. pleasure of uh, chatting with scott russo and even sunny from uh, pod so it's really cool to kind of get the perspective of all these sort of legendary local bands man yeah i know scott russo well you know him and i were pretty tight back in the day He's down in Tijuana. He's chilling down in TJ nowadays. No way, that's classic. I think last time I saw him um, was, it's been a while. It's been some years. I saw him at Soma. I think his daughter was singing. Yep. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> Kaylin. I believe it. Yeah, she was singing, uh, doing like a, um, uh, like a cameo with another band. So yeah, it was cool to see him. Yeah. Seems like he was good. Totally, man. One of my One of my favorites for sure. I'm kind of a punk rock, pop punk guy, so... You know, you got to shout out Unwritten Law and and just all the bands like you you mentioned that that blew up after you guys. You know, Unwritten Law, Blink One Eighty Two, Switchfoot, Pod. Yeah, San Diego's just got a big name for that. It went nuts. It went. It I legitimately went very well after us. Those bands did well. I mean, we did okay. You know, we had our. I'd like to think we had a pretty fair shot at it. Um, we definitely. Uh, you know, our songwriting, I think, lent, lent itself to the fan base we had. Um, but we missed it. You know, we just missed a couple of of uh, shots that we weren't given, you know. And back then, if you didn't have these two or three shots, you were just going to be as big as Lucy's fur coat, you know, which, you know, hindsight is fine. We had we had a great run and a great time. Let me tell you, <laughs> too good of a time. I was actually reading through your Wikipedia that you got some major label support or interest. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we got signed by a mid-major called Relativity Records. Right. And and that was a great fit for us. And and we, at that time, could have signed with ma- a major label. We I wouldn't say we had our like choice of record labels, but we had some good opportunities. But where we were and what, and what our experience was in the studio and our songwriting, we wanted to go kind of with more of a mid-major, not an indie, not a pure indie, but like a mid-major and just kind of like develop ourselves, you know? And we thought that was a good fit. All of our peers around us, you know, who who we looked up to and gave us advice, thought it was a great move. So we went with Relativity and we were actually signed by the vice president of the company. So it wasn't even just like an A&R guy or anything like that, like literally the VP of the company. They really believed in us. Wow. So we go in the studio we're supposed to do a four-song demo, 
just so that the record, because we had we'd put out some seven inches mm-hmm. uh, and picture discs and done some indie type stuff like that, and they sold well, and you know it was really fun to do. So they had heard our recordings, obviously, and we had done like a a demo, but it was such a rough demo. So we went in the studio, and they're like, "Here, this, consider this like pre-production for your album. Get in there, record these four songs, four or five songs. Send them to us." Well, we go in the studio. We we partner up with this guy um, Richard Mauser. Mm-hmm. And uh, we do the four songs. I mean, it was a wild, wild summer. I signed, I remember sitting at my home, living with my parents. I think I'm 21, maybe 22. And I'm signing a record deal and my graduation contract from college at the same time. Wow. And so that summer we went off, recorded, did those songs. And when we sent them to the record label, they the VP flew out like the next day and he said you're not going anywhere we're recording the album right now wow. this is it and we're like what okay so that's how fast things went for us so, wow so we recorded um jaundice on relativity records yeah and then shortly thereafter what happened was is they got bought out by sony oh, okay. and yeah and a lot of like staffing changes happened and there was just a lot of like uh inconsistencies and so we kind of just fell by the wayside i guess you would say mm-hmm. signing a record deal is crazy like we definitely um had problems with our first contract i mean it's insane what these guys want from you i mean legitimately first of all you don't sign a record deal as a band you sign it as an individual and they own you as an individual so let's say lucy's for coat breaks up or i want to go join another band or do something that band i'm in technically according to our first agreement couldn't even have like signed another record deal without that record company having first right at that at that band because i was in it wow so so they own you now i don't know how things are today but that's that's the way it was and so we had we had already fought pretty hard to get a pretty good deal that we had um you know i mean a lot of us were you know pretty well-rounded individuals already you know Hmm. and so we weren't interested in just being whipping boys and 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 quite honestly we weren't we weren't interested at all in um rock and roll just for the sake of rock and roll like we loved being in a band we loved doing what we did but it wasn't our like absolutely like end all be all it wasn't like this is it or we're dying you know like we didn't have that kind of like mentality yeah we definitely gave it our own loved it and so what you're reading there in that wikipedia is that what happened is is we I guess you could call it like we wanted out of our current record deal. Yeah. So we broke up for like a little bit. I don't remember how long it was. I saw 98, you reunited and you recorded how to survive an air crash. Exactly. We, we left that label. And when we got back together, you know, we just, we had connections, we had, you know, things going on already. So we went and recorded how to survive an air crash on SRH, right? Yeah, it was great. It was a perfect way to kind of get ourselves going. And then that's where they were talking about in Wikipedia about major label interest. Cause obviously that, that album generated a lot of like major label interest, but just nothing, nothing really stuck, you know? And then by then, you know, we're like pushing 30, you know, t- late twenties. And we just kind of decided as a band, you know what, man, that was a good run. That was fun. Right. Let's, let's 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 call it a day yeah so that's what we did and now we do <laughs> we seem to have done our last show ever every about five years yeah we were kind of texting i think your last one was pepper right maybe five years ago yeah so we did two shows at the casbah oh cool and then we 
got invited to play that um they called it the uh homecoming 91x and it was a bunch of um san diego bands new and old you know and so yeah, yeah so it was it was basically pepper uh, rocket from the crypt us cold war kids pin back that's amazing yeah yeah the more i talk with musicians that have gotten to the level and beyond where you guys were it's it's almost like it's unfortunate that there's like such that evil empire that we have to fight against right in a lot of ways oh my god it's so hard i mean not you know like i said i've been around the block now and when i look back i'm I look back and I remember like even the little bit of turmoil it created within the band um, because, you know, Charlie and Mike were like, dude, we're not signing this. This is ridiculous. Seems like you guys were smart about it, though, like maybe a little business savvy, right? No, you know what? I think I'd like to think we were. And, you know, it's funny because I'm an entrepreneur. I've started I think four or five companies. Yeah, I get that. And Lucy's Fur Coat was the one of the first companies that I started because yeah. at the end of the day, our company was Furball Music. That was our, you know, our entity. Sure. And our product was Lucy's Fur Coat and those albums that we put out. You know, our brand was Lucy's Fur Coat, I should say. And the products that we put out were How to Survive an Air Crash and Jaundice and our shows and our merch and our publishing. And yeah, you know, we did pretty good. I mean, I, I, made, I made decent money for what we did. Bought my first house. Wow. Very yeah, cool. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. Back in like you know early '90s, and I thank my parents to, for that and having the hindsight because I was blowing through some cash, right. and my dad yeah. basically, basically, I, I, for lack of a better word, stole my money and bought me a house. And I remember <laughs> I was like so mad at him, but you know he had my best interest in mind. And I shortly, obviously thereafter, realized how smart he was and thanked him because you know what the housing market's done since '90. Four ninety-five. Yeah, absolutely. We were pretty um, adamant, and you know, I think that I think that worked, but it also kind of rubbed people the wrong way too, because they kind of looked at it as like, "Oh, Lucy's for coat." They're really not like you know, they're not all about it. And it's like, no, we were all about it. We just didn't want to be complete, you know, slaves to everything. So yeah, and and I think that's smart. A lot of local musicians listen. I'm I'm still active in the scene. I have a band and. I think it's always good advice to have some sort of supplemental income set up for yourself and some sort of backup plan if you're going to be a musician, not to not to rain on your parade, you know? No, no, definitely don't want to shoot down any hopes and dreams, man, because believe me, we had them and you got to go for it. You're, and, you, and, and we were all in, man. You are all in. I, I couldn't tell you how committed and focused I was on, on Lucy's for Code. Is the reason that you guys broke up to get out of that contract? It was part of it. It was definitely a big, big part of it. Like a loophole? Um, yeah, it was definitely a big part of it. And it was it was good timing in that um, there was some stuff going on within the band that was rough, you know, some some <laughs> some drug issues, you know. And sure, that happens. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, you know. Let's hear about it, bro. Let's hear specifics oh now. Oh, my God. I hate, I hate to diss because there's so much stuff I could tell you about. I mean, there was good times, let me tell you. Yeah, no, absolutely. We had some dark, you know, things going on. I mean, if you saw us play live, you knew we weren't up there sober. <laughs> I was reading, you know, I never got the, the pleasure to see you guys live. I would have been under 21 
during that whole time. But still, I could have I could have caught you, but I don't recall seeing you. But uh, you know, I was reading that your front man really stood out, and he was quite the showman, right? Kind of like a a schizophonics type, maybe. Yeah, good good analogy. Kind of like Pat Beers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, pretty similar. I mean, Charlie was legit. Right on, just a good showman, huh? Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, he was duplicated. You know, I mean, he le- he legitimately had people steal his his mojo his thing i mean because you gotta remember we started early mm-hmm. by the time we got our record out in 90 late 94 there had been a lot of bands that had like kind of like already like happened before us you know so to speak right. and we're and had came and seen us and we'd heard stories the next day you know they had a beard like charlie and <laughs> uh, you know a lot more energy and doing all kinds of stuff and there's even the you know i don't know if you heard about the whole scott whelan thing you know so no talk about that we got asked to um open up for stone temple pilots super cool and um you know and so that was at Bodie's and and stp at this time is they're 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 getting huge right was that like core? Was that around core or maybe before? It was core. Okay. Yeah. 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 Like right, right, right at the early stages of core. Yeah. Huge. And of course, it was huge. It was super sold out. They wanted to do a real. They they were um, claiming some roots from San Diego, and I think they are right. Yeah. I, I mean, honestly, I don't even really know. I know that um, they had some ties here. Okay. First of all, great guys. Uh, you know, Dean DeLeo, Scott Whelan, rest in peace. Super, super cool guys. Nothing but good things to say about them. They were super cool to us. But we did do a show with them early, early, like early in their career. Wow. Like I said, McCore was just hitting and coming out, and they wanted to come back to San Diego and do a small venue. And they were like, we want to do it with a, uh, an absolutely um, no, no doubt, unequivocally band from San Diego. So they asked us to open up for them. So nice. we did. And then the story goes after that, that he had seen Charlie and basically had mimicked pretty much a lot of what Charlie was all about. Really? Some of those moves and everything, huh? Yes, absolutely. Well, listeners, check it out. Check out Scott Weiland live and check out Lucy's Fur Coat and uh, you be the judge. But, you know, that's the biggest form of flattery, right? Absolutely. No, absolutely. And fuck, I loved STP. Core was just amazing. So do I. Back then, like our scene was kind of like... um, they're trying to snub SDP, SDP, and I was like, dude, no way, these guys are cool. The music's great. How can you, how can you not like? Come on, you can't just hate to hate, right? Yeah, no, totally. What are the guys up to nowadays? I mean, Charlie, what's he doing? You keep in touch with them? Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're on a group text and we text, <laughs> believe it or not, almost every day. Wow. Very cool. Yeah, we're super tight. I mean, we have been. We That was the one thing that was super cool about our band is like, you know, we didn't get together from ads and papers or, you know, oh, this guy plays bass. You should talk to him. Like we legit, I went to high school with our bass player. Scott was in another band that we hung out with and, and you know, um, partied with. Right. And then um, Mike Santos, I grew up surfing La Jolla Shores with. And Charlie lived above me down in Mission Beach for years. Wow. Yeah. So so we knew we, knew, we were friends before all this. Um, and it just so happened we all were into music and, 
had you know interested in the same kind of music and everything and that's 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 how we met and, and got together and, and like i said it was more just to go out and get free beers you know and have some more friends come hang out i think that shows on stage i've thought about that before like i think there needs to be a brotherhood and a friendship almost before the the product is even created you know almost before that business is formed oh totally i mean every band has a successful dynamic right i mean you have just as you have solo band leaders who just does everything, writes all the songs, you know, produces the albums. I mean, there's just, you know, he's just a fearless leader in that sense. Lucy's for coat was definitely a, we were what we were because of the five guys. Scott was a, Scott's a badass drummer. I mean, he's a, such a badass drummer. Rob's a great bass player. Rob is amazing in the studio. He's an, he's practically an engineer. You know, I mean, he, he he could twist knobs like there's no other. Mike Santos is, an, I think, an amazing songwriter. Um, yeah. He really is. I mean, there's so many Lucy's Fur Coat songs that never got to be recorded, you know, or published or anything like that, that I really think are great songs. And Mike's done some other stuff, you know, and put some stuff out. And but but what made Lucy's Fur Coat was the. I think was the songwriting um, collaboration between Mike, myself, Charlie, and Rob. You know, and when I yeah. and then of course the drums too. But yes, that's kind of what made it because Mike would come in with something and we would turn it into a Lucy's for Coat song. You know, and keep it rocking and and build courses and bridges and such. But yeah, so some bands definitely operate that way, um, like us, and some 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 don't. But that's what works for us. But yes, I think ultimately when you get on stage. And you're playing in front of people or you're doing interviews or you're, you know, you're, you're going out and around town and, and just the, the, the way in, in life, you can definitely tell bands that like get along or even if they don't get along, they have a, they, they love each other, right? Like Charlie and I, we would, we loved each other, but we were fierce competitors. I'd never wanted him to outshine me on stage. There you go. Yeah. So it was always like this competition where it's like, mm -mm, you're not going to outshine me tonight. Sorry, dude. <laughs> yeah. So like, you can see those types of like, you know, those things in bands. And I think, and I think it's good, you know, sort of push each other. Yeah. Even other bands, I think still locally, there's a friendly competition. Yeah. You raise the bar a little bit and you kind of reference that. Exactly. You know, you, you get on, you're about to get on stage, you look at each other and you go, are you guys ready? Or are we just going to, you know, we're going <laughs> to fuck around or are we going to go fuck <laughs> ass? And, you know, you go upstate. Yeah. So, yeah, it's such a simple thing, but I think a good band is gonna is, is a band that has fun on stage, right? Definitely, and it's contagious to the crowd. Yeah, exactly. They feed off of it, and I think I think I think you can't fake it. You know, I think I think I mean you can sort of fake it to make it, but at the end of the day, people can see it, they can feel it, and I think like I think like um, someone like Charlie is so genuine, you can feel it. I mean, there's and the guy actually is can't can't dance can't move he can't he has no rhythm <laughs> so when you what you saw what you saw was just him being him like he just genuinely was like a spaz <laughs> yeah and his soul so kind of soulful yeah yeah and it, it almost made no sense to the point where it made sense if that makes any sense gosh there you go yeah, that's, all. <laughs> that's kind of how how our vibe was we took the whole live thing super serious to the point where it definitely had some health health effects for me later on in life that's for sure <laughs> Thank you.
How were bands back in the day? Were they very supportive? Oh, God, no. Not at all. But, you know, back back in the early 90s, you know, oh, man, it was very, like... Competitive. Clicky. Super clicky. I don't even know if, I don't even know if competitive is the right word. I guess you could say it was. But super clicky and there was a there was such a core music scene here in san diego so to try to penetrate that and to get into that vibe oh super hard super hard who would those core bands be not to call them out but i'm just curious i would say like a lot of the cargo records bands so like uh, rocket from the crypt uh gosh i mean i'm gonna start naming bands fishwife friedel there was there was a lot of bands, and so there was kind of that whole realm of, of 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 bands, right? And that was kind of like the scene, you know. And then you got Lucy's Fur Coat, where we knew none of those guys. We didn't want to know any of those guys really, unless they wanted to, you know, be cool with us and and whatnot. And we just did our own thing. Yeah. And so we did our own thing, and so we never fit in. We ne- we were never part of that clique. Okay. We even written a song, wrote a song about it. What song is that? Well, it's called it's called Stirred Around. It's on SoundCloud and it was never released. Charlie has some lines in there about, you know, our special little art punk scene in town. Those are his exact words. That's always interesting to hear. I have old school guys come on, and yeah, that seems to be the uh, common denominator that it, it, you know, it was a little more clicky back in the day, for sure. Definitely. And then as the scene got bigger and and you know and bigger, then it then it got more a little more camaraderie, and obviously we had a, so many cool bands that we played with and hung out with. You know, I mean, I even would jump on stage with bands, you know, that's how it was. It was like, a, it was really a cool, tight scene. Um, I don't know if you remember a band called Fluff. Yeah, of course. Wasn't that O? Yeah, with O, yep. You know, another per- another uh, person who passed away, John Donhow. I don't know if you knew that, their bass player. Okay, oh, rest in peace. All right, I did know that. Yeah, um, I used to jump on stage with those guys and play guitar on a couple of songs because I genuinely just loved their music and I just... You know, it's almost like I couldn't control myself. I just wanted to go up there and play. Sure. So that, that was how the scene was back then. It was tight. And, and I quite honestly, I don't know what it's like today. I'm yeah, I'm 50 years old. I, could, I really couldn't tell you. Yeah, no, I hear you. Yeah, no, it's a very supportive scene. Uh, you got podcasts, you got uh, promoters out there like Riot Scene doing great things. And then all the amazing venues here in San Diego are still alive and well. Obviously not the last few months. You guys never played with rocket huh you know what's funny we did play with rocket once and it was at that that show um, the homecoming show so we used to joke it took us 20 years to do a show together but <laughs> a funny story about us and rocket from the crypt is when we both when our both our bands first started we shared the same rehearsal studio together wow what which one was that well it wasn't really a rehearsal studio because back then there weren't any so it was it was this place um, off of like, right by the Casbah, off off Washington Street, and it was just a cracked out. It's the place <laughs> when you're on the five freeway that when you just are heading um, north past the airport, and you look to your right, and there's there's this this used to be a wedding place, and it had like these wedding whatever you know gowns and stuff, and and a, and a window. That thing used to be super run down, and just a, I don't even know what was going on with it. But <laughs> this guy rented out rooms 
and to to some to, to bands to rehearsing as long as we did it like after a certain time of uh, day. And so us and Rocket wow. shared a studio, to, shared a rehearsal studio together. There it was crazy. that's so cool, man. Do you ever see John Reese around? No, I don't. No, I think he's doing a lot of producing now, from what I've heard. Yeah, John was one of those guys. I mean, he—I don't know if you know this about John, but he was producing records back when he was in Rocket from the Crypt. I mean, he's nice. Yeah, he's a—he's a legendary guy. Definitely a local legend. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Very, very worthy. I mean, of everything he's done. I mean, he's a—he's—he's a—he's made a career out of out of his uh his music so he's on my podcast list for sure man i'd love to get him on i'd love to get like john foreman on of switchfoot uh you know the guys from blink would be <laughs> an ultimate end goal for sure yeah definitely did you ever go to any of the mayday concerts mayday no that doesn't ring a bell long time ago because you mentioned some of those bands they put on a festival at san diego state and they called it mayday and i can't remember how many years it went for but it was really cool. It was all San Diego bands. They would literally get like, well, I don't know, like 20 bands. It was almost like a San Diego Lollapalooza, but for just for San Diego bands. And it was huge. That's awesome. Even like street scene, right? Yeah, street scene. Oh, my God. I forgot about street scene. We played street scene. The street scene was like basically took over parts of Gaslamp, right? I mean, street scene got huge. Big national acts started coming. But it started off as a local thing mostly. Um where Mayday was at the open, I think they call it the open air theater. Yeah. And it was just right there. And it was that one venue all day long. Yeah. That, that kind of rings a bell now that you're talking about it. But uh, looking back, any advice, any regrets, anything you'd change? Is there anything that just nags you that you wish you would have done differently with the band? Um, first and foremost, you're only as good as your songs. So no matter what you want to do or what you want to be or how you know cool you think you are and you may have the greatest, coolest look and the coolest front man and blah, blah, blah. If you don't have good songs, it, you know, let's just be honest, you're not going to go anywhere. Right. Agreed. You know, and if, and if you're not a halfway decent musician, you, like I said, you can fake it for a little bit. You can be a freak show and people might go watch because it's whatever it is. But like you got to have good songs. And so... At the end of the day, as much as I would, you know, like I said, we didn't, I, I feel like we had a great shot, but we didn't have the ultimate shot. Like, I don't look back and go, man, we had, you know, here was our three opportunities and we fucked up. We didn't fuck anything right. up. So, like, there was yeah. nothing where I look back and go, oh, my God, we, we should have done this. We should have done that. It was more like, how come we didn't get the opportunity to do this and do that? And that's what I'm bitter about. Right. Yeah. So, I'm definitely jaded and bitter because, like I said, back then, it was like if MTV didn't pick you up and put you on a buzz clip or get you some airplay, the record labels were like, okay, where's our next buzz clip? Where's our next MTV darling? Wow. I mean, dude, we played with Green Day. We toured with Green Day, wow. you know, on the Did you really? On the Dookie album. Yeah, 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 definitely. Holy shit. I didn't know that, man. Oh, no, no, we got we got we, we played with some great bands. We played with Ramon. That's my favorite band right there. We're going to have to talk about that a little bit. Back then, when we toured with Green Day, it was right when Dookie came out. They were definitely exploding. Um, it was a great little. It was a great venue. It, it just it it wasn't a good match for us because sure. Green Day's um, fan base was literally like ten years old. Right. <laughs> and I'm not shitting you. Charlie would be on stage and he would be looking down and and we just couldn't. You know, we're like in our early 
20s, right? Mid 20s. And we're looking down at these like literally 11 to like 15 year olds. And, you know, we did our thing and we, you know, but it just, it was weird, man. It was weird. Didn't click or something. Yeah. Charlie just ended up fucking with a lot of the kids the whole time, telling them to get their dookie off his stage. <laughs> Any interesting stories with the guys, you know, Billy Joe and, and the, the guys in Green Day? Oh yeah. Those guys were super stoners. I, you know, hope, hope they don't mind me saying that. Um, uh, I don't think they care. They don't listen. <laughs> Billy Joe's dad was their tour manager and he basically looked like a hell's angel you know harley guy and they toured in a bookmobile so they they took this old bookmobile like one of these whatever you call it like rv-ish looking things that they that was a actual bookmobile it drove around (laughs) the country and sold books out of and they converted that to their um uh touring touring bus and so yeah we used to hang out in that thing and play super lame old video games and do all kinds of uh, inappropriate things. So, um, wow. nice guys, nice guys. And those guys were consummate pros, man. Here, here's another thing that I always joke about. If anybody acts like they never wanted to be huge and a rock star, they're completely full of shit. Because Green Day knew exactly what the fuck they were doing. Yeah. Nirvana, that guy, and him writing Corporate Rock Still Sucks on his shirt and his whole, oh, oh, fuck, major labels, da 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 nah, that guy knew exactly what he was doing because you don't he wanted to sell out you don't get none of these bands get to where they are without playing the game because there's a game to play and 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 uh it's funny it's funny because we know because i you know i got inside knowledge right you just don't it just doesn't happen so green day guys are consummate pros man good dude they got a lot of shit there's a lot of documentaries for quote-unquote selling out you know their their home fan base really shun them in a lot of ways i don't think they give a shit these days (laughs) and i mean of course they sold out i mean if if you don't sell out so to speak how do you keep playing music and writing songs and keep doing what you do to make all your fans happy oh you sold out what do you want me to do come out with one album two albums and then you know go away and i don't think that's really frowned upon anymore is it i mean that was sort of like a mid-90s thing like selling out ooh, sell out like like it was a bad thing. I mean, who the hell wouldn't? Like, what are we? What is a band doing? That's its sole purpose. So check this shit out. I got four kids. Okay. Oh, okay. Cool, man. And obviously, they they keep me in touch with a little bit of music. Right. And they're all super into music in their own way. So I got my, I joke. I got my, I had got three girls. Right. And my youngest is sixteen, and um, and she's 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 kind of just real kind of run-of-the-mill generic like as far as music goes but my next oldest my next oldest daughter is like your typical frat san diego state that kind of girl that kind of music right yeah pop hip-hop yeah and so she's not jaded at all she doesn't judge bands she literally obviously you know if the music's there the lyrics are there and the and the vibe is there that those are the three combinations and she ends up liking those bands more but she's not judgmental then i have my i call my alternative daughter who literally if it was 1990 she would have been one of the girls that like was like part of our our scene (laughs) she's super judgmental and i don't mean that in a negative way she's just very very critical of anything she listens to and if you don't fit if you if you are if she sniffs you as being a sellout you're done (laughs) You're done. Uh, it's counterculture or it's nothing. 
So yeah. um, she's hardcore, and I love her for that because man, she just turned me on to some cool stuff, you know. Like yeah, and so uh, yeah, that. And then and then my and my son's the oldest, and you know he's a big reggae guy. He loves Pepper. So when we played with Pepper, he was blown. He was like, "What? You're wow. playing with Pepper? Oh my god, my dad's kind of cool." Yeah, <laughs> he's all right. My dad's all right. Yeah. What does your critical daughter think of uh, Lucy's fur coat? She loves it because out of all my kids. Because she's in that kind of scene, she gets told about Lucy's fur coat all the time. Right on. You know, be like, sure. like, like, some, like she she works at, um, or I should say, was working at Morning Glory, and I think there was an you know a, an older person that worked there, and she said she noticed her last name was Sanfilippo, and she's like, "What's your dad's name?" You know, and she's like, "Oh, it's Tony." And she's like, "Oh my god, did he play in Lucy's for coach?" She's like, "Ah, oh, I get that all the time. Yes, he played in Lucy's for coach." <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> but you know, as far as like advice to bands, you know, I don't know if I really kind of touched on that. I other than you know, like I said, songs um, are absolutely the most critical, and you know, um, just. Take your take your time, you know. Don't don't rush into things that you don't you don't feel are good. You know, trust your trust your gut, so to speak. Because we, you know, I, I I didn't trust my gut a few times, or I shouldn't say I, but we. And you know, bad things can happen, and then yeah, you'll look back and you'll be bummed about. So I, yeah, I mean, I guess if I had so so I kind of kept things positive. But one lame thing that happened to us that I look back on is our first video for treasure hands um, was per, for some reason to, this is, we, we wanted to have um, Spike Jones do it. I don't know. You probably heard of Spike Jones, right? Of course. He was completely pretty much unheard of at the time. He had done some really cool indie stuff. Right. And he, we just, we'd gotten hip to him and you know, that was kind of like our vibe. Right. Yeah. So we were, we were like, Oh, we want this guy to do our, our video and they're like who's that guy no we're gonna get somebody who's done this this and this and this and we're like no 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 and then you know our, our manager's like just do what the label says they're gonna obviously give you somebody good don't you know don't don't ruffle any feathers you're you're lucky to be having a video right and it's like <laughs> oh, okay well our video the first guy we used got he got shit can even even though i felt like that video was better than the second video that the record label like made us go and do long story short we're sitting in our tour bus and they come back in you know with the vhs tape and they're playing they were like here's your video check it out and we're like oh, we're all sitting there watching this video troy and we're like oh my god it's 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 okay it's it's you know it's a good start but remember this and this and we could do this and this and this and like oh no no it's too late it's going to mtv tomorrow we're like what the fuck oh shit didn't even get your input none Hmm. Was it played on MTV? Yeah, yeah, it got played on MTV. Not obviously not a whole lot, but it got played. Like, I mean, back then it was like 120 minutes. You got, you know, that I remember that show. Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, it was on 120 minutes, and gotcha. Yeah, you just didn't have much artistic control over it. Yes, we did. We had artistic control of it when we were doing it, like when we were there videoing and. But all the editing and post production, yeah, which is like you know where all the magic really happens, right? Right, totally. And then of course you know, Spike Jones goes and does all these amazing 
videos and if you even and at the point and at one point if he just did your video you were on mtv right i mean that's how yeah. that's how much street cred that guy had so yeah so things like that that you got to trust your gut on and sometimes you just gotta you know bear your feet in the sand and just you gotta say no you know yeah it's hard i certainly couldn't um relate to it t in today's music world because i just don't really know what it's like but back then you had to have balls to do something like that like you had to right. definitely stand your ground yeah i see it as you know with musicians they're just they they want to get their music out there so much and if if someone comes at them and offers to help it's like a kid getting candy waved in front of his face they're like you know yeah sure you know like get yeah it's exciting and and i think a lot of bands maybe just uh make decisions based off emotions or or something you know definitely i'm sure you know it's tough so yeah i would imagine so and we saw we saw it a lot you know someone comes and says something and does a few things and you're like, oh my God, dude, I'm doing this little, we're doing this little tour, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it was like, what? Why the fuck are you doing that? That's, that's, <laughs> you know, that's dumb. Just taking a shit on it. <laughs> you guys have, have fun with that or like have fun putting that out. And what are you getting for that? Nothing. We're just doing it for, man, for rock and roll. And I'm like, all right, cool. <laughs> yeah. so, you guys had your uh, higher standards. Yeah. A little bit, you know, just don't get taken advantage of. Right. Yeah. yeah so, yeah, definitely, you know, take your time because, you know, time is is somewhat on your side, you know, and make it great. Like, because, because, you know, once that once that CD comes out and it's out there or whatever it is you put out there, or, you know, for people to see, you can't go back and change it forever. That Yeah. So when I listened to Jaundice and I listened to How to Survive an Air Crash. I had some of that foresight while we were in there going, man, I got to live with this for the rest of my life. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Beyond your life. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it really is. And it's, uh, it leaves behind something, you know, I, I think about that. The songs you write are sort of a legacy for you as a musician. Yeah. And, but man, if you can make it and if you can even, if you can even just go record, man, go record your stuff and learn the studio and, you know, now, obviously, you know, you can do a lot of that. I can do it all from my, you know, like in my office, in my in my uh, house. Which, but you still need to learn it and do it and hear it and, you know, arrange, you know, arranging songs and and, and just, yeah, just get, go get after it. This is a question I should have asked right up front, but who's Lucy? So nobody okay so so the name is completely random so we were sitting in a you know it's a little it's a little cliched but at the time we were sitting in the, in the garage uh you know rehearsing you know because we were a garage band back then yeah we were trying to come up with band names and at the time there was a lot of one syllable one word band names and so all we wanted was nothing with one syllable or one word so it had to, it had to say something so to speak a little bit so it was like, oh, you know, hey, this coat, you know, Lucy, that. Oh, what about fur? Da, da, da. And then somebody, I think, said, oh, Lucy's fur coat. And then we were like, that's really kind of doesn't make any sense. And then we went over here. <laughs> and so lack of for a better, you know, band name, that's what that's what came up. And we were like, what about that Lucy's fur coat thing? That's kind of, yeah. you know, whatever. So we took it. And that's how we went with it. Right on. And it's funny you asked me that because back when, back when we would get interviewed, because it was such a uneventful story, we would lie. We would lie our asses off. <laughs> what would you say? 
I, I don't even, honestly, I don't even remember. An ex-girlfriend or just make shit up. Oh, yeah. Just all kind, just random stupid shit. And, and whoever answered, it was like a joke between the five of us. Whoever could answer the question first with the most random thing got to say it. Right. <laughs> and so it was just, it was all over the place. Yeah. That's funny. Band names, man. There is an art to naming a band, isn't there? I mean, it's just when you figure it out, when you come up with something good, it's it clicks. Something clicks, but then you have like Bush and Cake. Yeah. You know, that if it weren't for their good music, I don't think their band name would really be that great or accepted, right? Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. And even the name of our album, Jaundice, you know, I don't know. I had I got hepatitis while we were on tour. Go figure right. go figure. <laughs> and um I got super jaundiced. I mean, I was sick for like a month oh, shit. and I turned yellow. So that album cover is actually my skin. My eye was never doctored. That's how yellow I was. And so we named our album jaundice because of that. How funny. Wow. How crazy, man. Most people don't even know that. I would imagine, you know, they do now. They do now. <laughs> what are your plans? Do you plan to have a reunion show? It's five years is up, man. You know, I, who knows? I mean, I, I could never say no, and I could never say yes. I, I just don't know. I really don't know. I'd love to see you guys. Oh, I would love to play. I'm just straight up honest. If, if the guy, if all four guys were like, okay, let's do it. Let's pick a date and um, let's go. I'd be in 100%. I love playing live. I love playing rock and roll. I love playing my guitar. I, for, for, what, for whatever However things worked out, I, I never played in another band after Lucy's Fur Coat. And, wow. and I, you know, I don't want to, like, you know, get too into it or brag, but I got asked to be in some really good bands. And so wow. I kind of look back and go, wow, maybe I should have done that. Yeah. And I just I just didn't because, like I said, you know, I just didn't feel like that was where I wanted to be, you know, in yeah, life. Sure. Um, but, man, um, I love playing music. Uh, that's, that's for cool. sure yeah so cool. i would i would i would play i would play in a heartbeat are the guys still in san diego yeah they're all in san diego we're all like right here right in the heart of it um you just never know you never know could something could happen or something could come up tim mays could talk us into it again <laughs> you know that'd be so. dope I'd love to see that. I know they do it every once in a while. Maybe you guys rock it and, and fluff or something, man, would be amazing. Yeah, I would play a house party, to be honest with you. Right on. When we started, you know, we couldn't play anywhere. Like, we couldn't. You know, I I, I called Tim Mays a lot on the phone and said, hey, can our band get a show? And, and who are you? No. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. who is this guy calling me all the time to play? <laughs> I mean, I legitimately would call Tim Mays. He must have thought I was some sort of freak or kook i mean again you know um you know we were into it we were all into it um but we played we played parties here in pb here in mission beach and those were so so fucking fun and so cool that we took that vibe and i think that's what kind of made us a little bit unique when we did finally get a chance to play the the casbah is because we felt like we were playing in a you know in a garage at a house party right. because we would literally joke between the the five of us say okay how many how many songs do you think we can get done before the cops show up <laughs> and, and some would throw out two four five and would be like okay i'm gonna say six but don't fucking stop don't fucking tune your guitar don't yeah. do any fuck you fucking turn around and look at your equipment i'm gonna blow a gasket <laughs> and so you would literally rip five or six songs 
we would never stop and every one of them got broken up by the cops or something broke or something like crazy happened like the house started getting destroyed or something and so we took that and from the very first show we ever did in a bar that's how we played we played our first five or six songs and we never looked back you know obviously we could we learned to tune quick and we learned to like you know not sound like shit but like you know, and, and those are the things that I don't know if you can, I don't know if you get that stuff today. You know, I don't know how it works. I mean, I, I haven't heard of a house party where bands are playing in a long time. So fuck man, I haven't jammed with my band in three months. And just the other day I had them over to my uh, backyard and we, we played, you know, but that was more like a rehearsal. It wasn't a big rager, but, uh, I don't hear about that either. Maybe it's because we're older. Maybe my first band formed in 98. I remember raging, you know, high school house parties, but again, you know, we were in high school. Yeah. 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 No, I hear you. Unwritten law. I talk with Scott and that's how they got their following house parties in, uh, Not, yeah, in yeah, Poway. just 200 house parties. And then they hit Soma and by the, or, or one venue, I forget the venue he mentioned, but by the time they got into a venue, it was sold out. They had already had their following. Yeah, it's good times. A little, a little too good, you know. I mean, I, I, mean, I <laughs> never, I, dude, I, never. Oh yeah, you know, only. I mean, just to be completely upfront, I had, you know, I've had two heart attacks. Holy shit! Okay, yeah, maybe, so, maybe yeah. too good of a time, maybe for you. <laughs> so, you know, when, you, when you hear about these guys going, you know, you realize, like, man, when you're that, you know, when when I was in, when I was in my uh, early to late twenties, it was. It was game on. And like I said, watch us play live, watch our vibe. Like we were, we were super hardcore. So that catches up to you after a while, especially if you have, you know, um, a bad family history of, you know, some predisposed things in your family and, and you're out there drinking and smoking. And God, I mean, I would oh, God I knows talk that. about what I would do on stage. <laughs> <laughs> Beep. I'd do this and that and yeah. this off of her and this yeah. off of him. Yeah, no. Yeah. no, I get it. I get it. You live, yeah, you live and learn. And, uh, but you know, hindsight, you know, I'm never, you know, that happened when I was young. I'm, I'm like I said, I'm 50. And that was when I was like, I think 43. 42 yeah so uh, lucky for me i was home um the first the first time it happened it was just kind of i was out surfing and it was just really minor mm -hmm. and that was a huge wake-up call to me i completely changed my life after that because yeah i was still like a social smoker and a big big social drinker right. um and you know didn't didn't eat right didn't exercise right yeah. um even though charlie used to be like the figment of health and you know a light a career lifeguard you know really uh, was he which, oh yeah he's still a lifeguard to this day oh, yeah. okay keeps himself super fit you yeah. know he's always been he's always kept himself you know top notch shape yeah. i think i would have listened to him yeah but yeah i did it and it like bit me it bit me in the ass but i changed like and, and, and um you know now i'm like gosh knock on wood i'm like i think i lost like 56 pounds wow man yeah i found some weight <laughs> i was definitely going down a very bad a dark place but yes yeah sure. so i was lucky i got to i got to like keep it going yeah you make it through in life man you got your you know you got your dark periods and dark days and you just got to keep kind of trekking through there's no doubt it yeah it, it's a, and it's a trip because you hear things of like 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 scott whelan and man that hit home for me right. super hard because yeah you know i was lucky because I wasn't in a tour bus all by myself with no one around to, you know what I mean? And right. 
and, 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 and in the back of my mind, when I was telling you about like, ah, you know, I look back and I'm like, hindsight, I'm like, I'm glad I didn't join those other plans. I'm glad I didn't pick that. Cause I, I highly doubt I'd still be here Could today. Could have killed you. Yeah. hundred percent. I don't know what it is with musicians and that, that whole thing, depression, drugs, alcohol. Um, just from my experience. It's an emotional roller coaster. I mean, it, there are some incredible highs. I mean, highs that are like people don't experience in life, right? I mean, when you're standing in front of 20, 25,000 people and you are, you've got the world at your hands and, and you know, you're on, you're on the, you're going to be on the road for the next freaking, you know, six months. Um, there's some incredible lows. I mean, when you're in Lubbock, Texas in 1994 on a Tuesday night and you're playing this venue because the radio station is spinning your records 40 times and you better get your ass out there and support them, right? And there's yeah. and you, you have no you, you don't need to be there. You just genuinely in the grand scheme of life and success don't need to be there, but you go and you do it for your fans too. But those are lows, man, and you and so what happens is you 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 do whatever it is you do whatever you you can or you need to or have to 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 find the middle ground right right and that's a lot of that is is you know yeah. drugs and alcohol and yeah. and and we're bored a lot on the road i mean man it's hurry up and wait it's like okay hurry up let's go to the next town you get there you sound you, you sound check and you you fucking stand around until you know Eight 10 o'clock or whatever yeah yeah and then it's like repeat okay don't, you're not even going to bed tonight get in the bus we're going to the next town and you, it's hard to sleep in a tour bus you know it's like you literally are sleeping in a coffin you know yeah, yeah. You, you sit up you're gonna hit your head totally good point yeah and it's all readily available for you too right the alcohol and the drugs and it's just it's just there right <laughs> well, and some people love it some people embrace it i mean yeah I look at like Slash from Guns N' Roses and that guy was never happier unless he was on the road. When that right. guy was touring and he was on the road and he was playing live, that was the best life. That was that was it. For me personally, um, touring was not something I looked forward to entirely. I mean, I enjoyed the camaraderie and, and the fans and, and all that stuff, but I wanted to come home and surf, right. you know? Yeah. Interesting to look back, I'm sure, huh? And, and reminisce a bit. Oh, definitely, <laughs> it's fun. I mean, there's yeah. so I would. There's so much to say. There's, I mean, there's so many. There's so many things. I would. I, I'm. I'm glad you kind of took the bull by the horn and asked me some questions. I'm like, man, where would I even start? It's like, <laughs> I try to. I mean, with a band like yours and and any band really, uh, but you know, especially a band like yours that did so much. I didn't even know you toured with Green Day. Yeah, definitely, that's amazing, man. Yeah. Um, early on, early on, we toured with we toured with great bands. Now, um, when Green Day was gigantic, we didn't we didn't we didn't we didn't get asked to tour with them. I, we right. we joked around a lot that like we consider ourselves really good live. We we felt like a lot of bands were afraid to ask us to p open up for them or play with them because we would literally outshine a lot of bands. Sure, it's a good thing and a bad thing, right? Yeah. And for us, in a lot of ways, it was bad because we were so good live. Wherever we played, we would watch our sound scan. And sound scan is like record sales. Mm -hmm. And it didn't matter who we played with or what we or what we did. When we played that that city, that next like week, month, things took off. Like people bought our CD. Wow. You know, and, and, and unfortunately we would do shows and people would, you know, 
um, how do you say it? Uh, journalists yeah. would review the show and be like, this Lucy's for a coat band. Amazing. There's front man. Da, 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 da. And so I think it's kind of worked. It worked. It helped, but it also didn't help because we certainly could have used some more breaks and, and, and got asked to, you know, do some bigger tours for sure. Yeah, absolutely, man. It sounds like you're doing really well with your family, and uh, I'm glad to hear that you're healthy. And Yeah, yeah, no, no complaints over here. I'm super proud of the San Diego music scene. I think it's cool what you're doing. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, and, I'm, I, and I've been listening to some of the podcasts. And oh, cool. Yeah, it's, it's so cool because, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't anything like that when I was when we were doing what we were doing. It would have been so awesome to have that. Totally. Yeah. Just technology these days too. Um, I was, I was thinking about calling it quits when COVID hit, but, uh, now I'm just doing phone calls. I was having people over to my house, but, uh, it's cool, man. It's given me a lot of opportunity to catch up with guys like you and Unwritten Law and POD and Sprum Monkeys. So stoked to do it. Well, right on, man. I appreciate it. And, uh, definitely, uh, when this all clears up and we can go Obviously, we can go have a we can have a beer right now outside. Right? <laughs> I think that's a. I don't know what the hell's going on. I don't think we're allowed inside, bro. I think all businesses just need to take their doors off their hinges, dude. And that's that's the loophole. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. But no, I'd love to catch up with you, bro. And uh, I throw events around town, you know, little events here and there. I did a thing at House of Blues, so I'll keep you guys in mind, man. For sure, hit me up. I want to, you know, come have a drink, and I can tell some more stories. And then you can, and then you can decide which ones you want to, you know, put on air or not. I'm, I'm, I'm not real comfortable about sharing everything because it's. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> yeah, you just never know. I know, brother. Cool, Tony, dude, a pleasure, brother. All the best to you, man. Troy, right on, man. We'll talk to you. Yep. All right. Sounds good. Have a great night. Okay, good night. Tony Sanfilippo from Lucy's Fur Coat. Pleasure chatting with you, man. Definite San Diego local legends. I didn't know you guys toured with Green Day. Holy shit. That's amazing. Check them out on Spotify. Their music is everywhere. Check out their uh, amazing live performances on YouTube that were referenced throughout this episode. Thanks for listening.
two, three, four. Palapalooza, Palapalooza. We're talking to you. I'm Palapalooza.